Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29, a Peachtree Hoops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops, and the Hawks are winners of five straight. Glenn, have all the problems been solved? Uh, yeah, of course, Kevin. What I mean, what other answer could there be? They're going to win another five in a row. Never mind that they, it, it had been an eternity since they'd won four in a row last time. But, no, there's um, – all the problems have not been solved is the serious answer if, if we're to the <laughs> serious segment yet. But no, there, there's a lot that they have to do better than they've been doing lately. Uh, but I don't, I don't want to sound anything less than at least a little bit positive because of the wins they got. So uh, they're going to have to play better basketball than this to hit their targets for the season still. So you're telling me this is a dynasty then? Uh, no, no, no. There's. It's, it's not a dynasty. Is it okay? Maybe I should let you make the case and, and let me react to your case that it is a dynasty. Well, they they did beat Miami, and Miami has been hot balls of fire for about a month, and that's pretty much the only game they've lost is the one where the Hawks got you know one of two games. It probably helped that they kind of got to scout things out and get a practice game before the coaching change. Uh, so that weighs heavily in their favor, but the, the schedule has been soft and, you know, but I mean, I do feel like there's something to the fact that they are playing much better in the fourth quarter. Like that doesn't feel entirely sure. fake, except for the fact that uh, some of the opponents that they faced have not been world beaters. No, but if you're just looking at their own play, the fourth quarter play is on a different level. I mean, they're, they seem um, freed up a little bit to me, where maybe they felt they would look like a team that was really feeling a lot of pressure at that point in the game, kind of forcing plays. I, don't, I haven't really seen them forcing plays. In fact, the, you know, the Tony Snell game winner was a perfect encapsulation of everyone kind of being patient and moving, moving as needed and, and making the right decision kind of as a unit. So... Um, you know, they do have a lot of things still to solve for. I don't, but I don't want to tell any fan that they should not be excited about this five game win streak. They're winning games that sure we could probably say these are games they should win most of these anyway. Um, but to your point, you know, the really big difference that to me is pretty much undeniable is more solid play down the pitch. Um, less forcing things, uh, just a little bit more composure and, and to use uh, Coach Nate's word, belief in who they are and what they're doing when it matters the most. And 
that really does impact how many games you end up, uh, you know, being ahead when the buzzer sounds. So that's, you know, if there's an area where they move the needle, it very well could be the most important area where the needle needed to move. So good, good for them for that. And that's, that's no small thing in terms of a thing for fans to be excited about for sure. In my view. In what stylistic ways does the team feel different? X's and O's and such. Yeah. So it's, that's been a, it's still evolving. I think the, the answer to that question is still kind of evolving in front of us to a degree. Um, you know, I've, I've, I think, I don't think you and I have had a chance to talk yet, but the Toronto game, their first one back from the break was like the thing that jumped out at everybody, I think was the absence of pick and roll, especially in the first half. They right. got more into that in the second half. Um, a lot of okay. off ball screens, um, and such and but if you look back to the Cavs win most recent there was a ton of pick and roll there um and so you know for me it's uh, it's I think Nate installed some things in the you know in during the break I guess it was basically sure. one practice yeah, he that they had, you know yeah uh and then I think that they really focused on running their new stuff against Toronto and now they look like they're getting to kind of a blend of the natural normal pick and roll stuff plus some of the new stuff they've he's dumped some stuff too that has caught my eye they basically have stopped running any of that split cut stuff that was one of you know pierce's favorite ato plays and where they throw the ball off into gallo there just above the free throw line and yeah. you know have that that's gone you know and they've replaced it with sort of back screen to get Gallo going to the post and then lifting like Bogdanovich up uh, you know, through the free throw line to the three point line. Um, so I, when I stop and think about what I've seen right now, that makes the big, that I think really jumps out at me is I think a lot of the stuff they installed, they installed for the second unit. And I think I, my guess is Rondo was frustrated that he was kind of tied to the pick and roll and couldn't kind of see several moving pieces off the ball that he could kind of, you know, choose how to, you know, attack with his passing game and all that sort of stuff. And at this point in his career, he's not going to be as dynamic kind of in the pick and roll, not, especially not in the way that, you know, Trey Young is one of the best pick and roll players in the league. And so I, in terms of if you're asking me what I've seen and kind of how I factor that into what I expect to see going forward, I think when Trey is out there with the first unit, a lot of pick and roll, which is good because in that Toronto game, they didn't generate very many shots at the rim. But second unit, you're going to see a lot more all stuff with, and you're going to see a lot of Rondo, Gallo, Bogdanovich, you know, kind of being the key to those second units. And I think they're going to run a pretty different um, kind of set of offensive actions when the first unit's in versus when the second unit's in. That's what I think I've learned. Uh, well, we'll see how right I am, but that's that's what I think I'm seeing. So there's a correlation then, because if, if you honestly look at, well, you know, what what's changed for the Hawks since the coaching change? it's that the high budget free agent signings from the off season are playing better. And, you know, part of that could be something sure. like health. Certainly Bogdanovich uh, is just barely getting to a point where he's starting to look more comfortable after returning from injury. Uh, but Rondo certainly looks better. Gallinari looks better. Like th those guys are, are playing better uh, under McMillan. Is that fair to say? I think so, and they, and they look a lot more comfortable with what they're with what they're doing and what they're running. I think Rondo prefers to be, you know, fairly stationary and kind of, you know, surveying the floor 
and having multiple options to kind of pick from. And he has that now in a way that, you know, he didn't have before this coaching change. So that's, there, there's some differences on defense too, but that's the thing that jumps out to me the, the most. And I, and like I said, I, I think we saw the first unit running it in that Toronto game. I want to say it's Cleveland. I, we didn't see much of that off ball, you know, screen based action at all with Trey on the court. A ton of it with or, you know, Rondo and the others on, like we talked about, and, and so I, th- I, th- I think I think we can have a pretty good idea of of what the offense is going to look like. The defense looks quite different to me, also, but um, I don't want to change subjects too quickly there. <laughs> uh, no, let's go there. Uh, what feels different about how they're covering things defensively? I, I think um, in a bit of maybe, maybe ironic way, I always you misuse the word ironic, so I, I'm always <laughs> careful with it, but um, <laughs> they're, they've, but they're, they've kind of gone back to year one Lloyd Pierce where the philosophy, you know, he talked about openly was, you know, we're not going to implement a lot of sophisticated stuff. We just want everybody to keep their man in front of them, you know, sort of um, kind of driving the philosophy of individual respect assignment it, defend your man you know and you know before the coaching change isn't that what any saw, coach in any scheme wants though no any well, kind I of mean, man I to man scheme man to man yes but i think that there's a lot of different philosophies around how much help a, a defender defending a guy with the basketball can rely on or should expect to rely on and you know with under Pierce, they would pull a lot of bodies down towards the paint, down towards the nail. And we're just not seeing as much of that. The, probably the, the time that I can think back to and visualize this the most was when Toronto was running, you know, trade to the ball screen, getting the switch and just kind of driving the ball right at him. And no one was coming in to really help in that situation at all. And the ball handler in those cases, whether it was Lowry or Powell or whomever, was collapsing the defense and creating all those wide open three point shots on the weak side. That was the result of not packing bodies down towards the paint. And even Trey in that situation sort of looked to me like the idea was, Hey, Trey, you've got to kind of, you know, hold up here as best you can. Sure. Clint's back there at the rim. Um, but you know, they're, they seem a lot more spread out and they seem a lot more, um, uh, manage to individual de- you know, defensive responsibility, and they seem to be less uh, kind of organized around present help defense, you know, kind of uh, dropping a half a step or a step towards the paint, putting more bodies kind of in that general area, um, and uh, it's just focusing on defending your guy. So that's, that's what I've seen so far. But, I mean, but if you look back at the last five games, um, you know, uh, not game to game, not the most dynamic guards. You know, I mean, Orlando basically had no point guards. Toronto had Lowry. And he, Lowry played every minute in the second half. And, uh, I mean, Lowry is amazing, but, you know, when he doesn't have any – He didn't have a lot of help. No, right. Um, and then Sacramento had Fox, and Fox, you know, had a good statistical game. Um, but the, the Kings have a, a myriad of other issues. <laughs> and then the Cavaliers have their two guards, but um, – you know, but, uh, you know, it, it's not like they're, you know, a couple, you know, Dame and CJ level type guards that really know how to 
attack a compromised defense. So, you know, when we get to what they average you know, like three and a half assists game combined. Right. And then, and they run like nineteen eighty seven era offense. Right. You know, basically right. they're running two bigs out there plodding around. I mean, to be fair to those guys, it's not like they have shooters like all over the floor <laughs> when no. they're attacking either. But you know, it, so that's I, I I think I think I get what he's doing on offense. What Nolan's doing on offense, um, I feel less sure about what he's doing on defense. I can only say that what I've seen right now makes me think that he's trying to instill a philosophy of owning your own individual defensive assignment, letting Clint be back there to kind of clean up at the rim, but, you know, pulling, uh, you know, the, the Hawks gave up, you know, some of the best cumulative three point shots to opponents on the season under Pierce. And maybe one of the big philosophies is we're not going to pull in off of shooters from the weak side as much, you know, and as aggressively, we're going to expect every single player to be able to fight and keep their man in front of them. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing, but I, I'm less convinced that I've landed on a kind of a concrete idea of what's going on outside of the ball, but that's what I'm seeing so far. Okay. Yeah, I would, I'd probably push back on that a little bit. I was trying to yeah. rewatch and I was trying to watch some of the parts of the second half where it seemed like Atlanta just kind of turned Cleveland cold for, for a decent amount of time. And it felt like, you know, Snell was, was, was giving the kind of help defense, uh, you know, helping at the nail, just kind of discouraging people from coming to his side of the floor as sort of a help defender, making sure that they kind of knew he was there. Um, it, 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 it felt very similar to what we've seen in the past. I mean, it, it may just be just sort of a psychological thing where it's just, you know, you've got the new coach and he's, he's harping a new message of staying in front of your man. It's, it's probably not even a different message. It's probably just the same. I'm sorry. It's probably not a different message, just a different person delivering it. And it probably carries a little more weight when you hear it from a different place. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think that that's, that's fair. Like I said, I'm, I'm less sure that I understand what what he was you know, was doing defensively, but I, I remember a play against I guess it was Sacramento because I wrote after that game where um, Harrison Barnes like well it have to be Sacramento because it was Harrison Barnes um, got Trey <laughs> messed up on him and went straight to the nail and they were clearly going to feed the ball into uh, Barnes and let him attack Trey right. and Trey Trey something he would not have done a year when you're two I don't think was he looked back behind him to see if there was a switch available to him to kind of get him out of that spot he looked back to and Collins was behind the only player behind him and Collins had Holmes so okay. you could see Collins said nope we're not switching you're on your you own. Know, I got to <laughs> I got to stay here you're, and Trey fought, and he I think he got uh, I think he caused a miss. Um, I can't remember, but but it, you could see Collins like, "Hey, dude, you're on your own," and that's just a little um, different, you know. Even if you go back to Philadelphia, Pierce did a lot of verbal coaching from the sideline. He would say he would call when they would go to double, you know, the opposing team's ball handler was say like five on the shot clock, which was a technique that he liked to use, you know, yeah. or on ATOs and in the quarters and things like that. And I just think that um, maybe there's less of that where the, the verbal, com, you know, coaching is coming from the sideline um, and where it's just like, Hey, you guys figured out, you guys communicate, you know, and, and for that one play I'm calling out, you know, John was like, 
you're on your own, man. <laughs> you know, good luck. You know, and John was there at the rim to, to help, but nobody right. came in to kind of kind of rescue him. So it it just looks different that way to me. But it, if you and I talk again in a week or two weeks, then I might have you know a different view of of how I'm looking at that. That's just how it looks to me at the moment. We'll see what happens when the legs get heavy on this West Coast trip. That lose. Yeah, what is it? Eight in a row? Is it? It's eight, eight on the road every other day except for the back-to-back at the end. Yeah. It's like eight and f- 14 days. It's, it's serious. <laughs> but they get yeah, a couple they, games they, before they need, that. Yeah, they need, they, they need to beat Houston. and They, need they really to, need to beat Houston. Even, and they need to get even with Oklahoma City. They're the yeah. better team uh, in both of those situations. So. Oklahoma City's feisty though i'm i'm intrigued to see them never Again. underestimate never underestimate a team where al horford is culture center i'll just say that some some smart team is going to try to get mike muscala who's like secretly been a very solid rebounder in addition to everything else that he typically does well uh, he's, he's just a smart resourceful player you know yeah Who's never, he's, ever, ever going to try to do anything more than he's capable of doing. If, if there's one player in the league that knows his limitation, I say that player is Mike Buscala. Yeah, I think he could help somebody. Uh, and Oklahoma is certainly at the point where they're just an asset accumulation. So the trade deadline looms. Speaking of the trade deadline, what are you, what are you expecting from the Hawks side of things? We've got what? Oh, I think man. it's nine or ten days. I think it's 10 from today. It, it'd 10. probably be nine, nine okay. for when most people are listening to this, I think, by the time <laughs> That's true. this gets published and everything. Okay, it's, yeah, it's March um, 15 for right now. For <laughs> Yeah, that may sound like a dig at Kevin. It's not a dig at Kevin. We're recording in the evening, and I'm three hours behind Kevin. Uh, and all of us lost an hour yesterday, so I, I know at my age I'm still feeling that hour even on, on, the, on the Monday. But um, you know, the I think the one everyone's thinking about is is Collins still going to be on the team, you know, ten days from now. And I know that there's all sorts of takes out there. I'm not a hot take artist at all, so I'm not going to come at anybody with you know this you know controversial type of view. But I think it's more likely he'll still be on the team than than he won't. Um, but I I don't think that I have any sort of feel that the Hawks don't want to quote move him. I just think the market is going to be tepid the whole way and that Travis Link will be faced with taking, um, you know, something a little less than he'd really prefer to get if he is to pull the trigger. Um, and I think that's where it's going to, going to land. Um, and, you know, the winning streak kind of puts some pressure on him to, you know, remain invested in putting the best you know product on the court this year. I think if, if they were, I mean, if they were still losing a whole lot of games, you know, he'd probably he'd be feeling a different kind of pressure, I think for sure. But that's the big one. And, and, you know, and then if you want to ask me, you know, apart from the, a big trade and any, any Collins trade would be a big trade in my mind. I'm looking at the backup center position as where they need to have a different alternative in my, in my mind. But what, um, do you have any different thoughts that I do on the kind of the Collins situation? No, I don't think so. That that sounds about right to me. My, I guess my gut is that they don't do anything. Um, 
I mean, I think it's a big enough decision where, you know, you're probably running that past ownership before you pull the trigger. I don't know. I just sort of suspect that uh, the team is competitive enough, the the player is good enough, and the market is cold enough that you put all that together and they just kind of stamp at. Um, but yeah, we shall I see. Agree. I th- I, yeah, I agree. I, I think I think we all can assume that they're they're worried about how much it's going to cost to retain him. And that's not necessary to even say that he's not, quote, worth it. It's just a matter of how the, the distribution of their cap space is going to work two years from now, yeah. three years from now, and how they're going to build sure. a team that kind of functions and all that sort of stuff. Um, and, and so, you know, we, I mean, you and I, I remember I, one of the f- first times I came on your podcast was after the Torn Prince trade, that was basically about not wanting to own his next contract. This is a different scale, you know, I mean, John Collins is yeah. a borderline all-star, you know, player. I think he, I think he's a, in my mind, he's a no doubt all-star level type t- type talent. And that's something that, you know, Tony Prince never was. Um, so it's a big, it's a bigger deal, you know, in that way. Um, um, but I, you know, but like I said, I, I think that they're just concerned about if they give him 110 ish million dollars or whatever, you know, that might, might end up looking like, what does that look like two years from now, three years from now from a tax standpoint and the flexibility to continue kind of growing and developing the team up to the point where they, you know, we assume they'd want it to be. And that's, that's, you know, being a no doubt kind of perennial playoff team and then being a threat to kind of get to the second, maybe third round uh, of the playoffs. And when you, you know, when you look at what Capella is doing and how wonderfully he's playing, how, how good he is, you know, putting that a whole lot more money, you know, into that, you know, power forward center kind of combination. You don't see a ton of teams that have money consolidated into those two positions. It's more of kind of one big that the team's invested in. And then the rest is kind of distributed the ball handling and shooting, you know, which, you know, I mean, Collins is a good shooter, um, you know, but that's, it's just, it's just a, that's just a configuration that most teams are staying away from. And that, so that's why I, I think I understand the thought process. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious, and this is kind of a related topic because it kind of have to figure what things are two years from now, three years from now, like you're mentioning, but, you you were talking about uh, the backup center situation being the most pressing thing for this roster in terms of the short term. Uh, why is that, and and w- which sort of player do you think fits best? Yeah. So so how do I answer that uh, efficiently? Let's see. To start with Bruno being out, I know that there's a general view <laughs> among some that Bruno's not an NBA rotation player. I'm not going to have an argument over that, but what he does best is all built into kind of dribble handoff. And, you know, he's, I think that's the a reason that Travis liked him a lot and they were running a ton of pistol based you know, stuff and it worked really, really well um, for him. He had other area issues and other areas and stuff, I'm not pretending like he was a perfect player, but if you're going to have Bruno Fernando on your roster and then you're going to divest yourself of ever running any, pistol or very much DHO based stuff then he's a terrible fit so let's kind of set him aside <laughs> I don't think I'm going to get an argument for too many people there well the next thing question is you know do you trust the Kongu to play more 
we're like more consistent minutes and more important minutes as this season goes along. And I feel uh, great about him as a prospect, as a young big man. Um, but I don't feel so great about him being able to give this team what it needs as they chase, you know, serious playoff berth and trying to really uh, kind of move the needle and winning a lot more games the rest of the season than they did the, you know, coming up to this point. And I honestly, I think any one and done big man. And then when you've kind of factored in also that he's a little undersized, I just think it's kind of unrealistic to expect him to play even 15 minutes a game, every game for a team that is um, built defensively around a Capella type starter and then have him come off. I mean, he's impressively good as a help defender, but that's not really, you know, what the scheme is built to, to ask of the big, of the center, you know, right now, Capella anchors that defense and, you know, Okongwu just doesn't have the experience and, and the number of repetitions, all that sort of stuff to do it, nor does he have the kind of the, the same physical tools that Capella has even, you know, I, I think there's a, a ton he has to offer as he gets more experience around helping at the level of a ball screen, recovering back to the rim, but he's just not ready to, to put in any of that into actual uh, game environment, my view. So I think about um, on offense, you know, the th- rim threat that Capella is, you know, Fernando's not that, Kwangu's not really that yet. And so I think that to kind of keep um, – to maintain some continuity when Capella goes to the bench, I think having another guy who is a similar type of rim drive on offense and on defense, a more of a shot blocker, rim protector, defensive anchor. Um, and so, you know, it, the interesting thing about thinking about that around the traded line is that at least the last three, four or five years, you could get guys like that on the buyout market, you know, um, and so you, you might ask yourself, do we need to make a trade to kind of add, a player like that. But then I think for a team like Atlanta that hasn't been you know, in the playoffs in a few years, I think they have to ask themselves, do we want to try to compete in a, in a buyout market? Because, you know, typically you see the Lakers and Clippers and, you know, Sixers and teams like that, that, you know, are, you know, one, two, three, you know, seeds, you know, you know spots in their, in their conferences and things like that. So, um, so I think it's, you know, I mean, I'm, I know he was a while ago. He was a laughing stock, but a Javale McGee type, I think, would be a great fit. Um, you know, I know the Knicks are exceeding expectations, but even uh, Noel could give you 10, 11 minutes a game, kind of of that. Um, there aren't a, a ton of guys that jump to mind that would be, you know, can it, you know, kind of candidates that are easy see, just easy to see getting moved at this point in time. You know, because well, you mentioned having like a lob threat, but is is if you're changing the scheme for your bench and you're having Ron, Rajon Rondo run the show, are you looking for those same rim running opportunities anyways? Uh, I, you know, I, I think the, the question you have to ask yourself is, is Capella, all of Capella this minute is going to be when Trey is on, uh-huh. you know, and, and, and the, whether Collins gets traded will factor here because, the way oh, sure. Millen's been handling, kind of pulling Capella off, then writing Collins longer in the first quarter, you know, and then Capella coming back, that that naturally puts Capella back on the court with the second unit for stretches. So it, it, it you could, I think, get away with not having that um, if the rotation of Capella and Collins, assuming both that Collins is still on the roster, is being kind of tied to Trey Young, 
you know, so it comes down to how the rotation will be managed. So I think there's a path to not needing that with Rondo and Gallo and Gallo basically kind of maybe being the pitch five for, you know, a lot of those minutes. Um, but if you're going to, you know, you know, let Capella play like five, six minute stretches, get a breather and get back out there, then I think it's kind of unavoidable that he's going to be back on the court in Rondo minutes. And then you're missing that piece next to Trey to get into that pick and roll action. So I know that a lot of fans will think like, oh my God, a backup big, that's so not exciting. (laughs) I think it's really critical to them having continuity of effective play kind of, you know, across all 48 minutes. So we'll, we'll see if anything happens there. When you look at the starters versus the bench, again, with it seeming like they might have to do some different things and play some different styles, as you parse up the wings, who do you want playing with the starters and who do you want playing with the reserves? And again, it's not written in granite or anything, but just as a general trend, who kind of fits where? Yeah, I mean, not to have a complete repeat of our last conversation. Assuming that we Snell's have health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Still's a great fit with Trey. Um, Kevin's been nice uh, the last few games, kind of attacking, um, you know, from the weak side, the ball gets rotated, you know, to him. Um, he's been more confident in my mind since the coaching change, you know, too, for, for whatever reason. I, I don't know him at all, obviously, but – just looks it just looks a little bit different there um and so right now it looks like um i, I wouldn't mess too much with that starting five until hunter comes back uh okay. and then i think then i think you have a decision to make between lighting herder up with the second unit or lighting snell up there and um let's hope herder plays well enough to make that a hard decision um but with rondo it seems like bordanovich looks comfortable kind of with the actions that they're running there so that's that's a good fit the nice thing about tony snell is you could drop him anywhere and he's completely functional mm-hmm. um so you kind of have some flexibility there if, if, when hunter comes back that's going to be the fascinating thing to kind of see i'm really curious um, you know, I think you, I think we all heard often, you know, what the big champion of Hunter Lloyd Pierce was. And I'm really curious once Hunter comes back, what McMillan does with him. Does it look largely the same or is it going to be, you know, quite different? And so that'll be the thing. I, I think until Hunter comes back, it's pretty obvious. Keep starting Hunter and Snell, keep lining Radonovich up to mostly play with the second unit. Um, Solo Hill is just a trusty guy that can kind of play three and the four and that's all good enough. But when Hunter comes back and that'll be the, where I see it gets a little bit tricky to quite figure that out. But one of the reasons I love Snell is that you could just tell him he's not playing and he's not going to create any drama for you. (laughs) If it came to that. I mean, there's, there's. I'm, I'm a little confused. What, what's the suspense when Hunter gets back? Isn't he just kind of, I mean, I suppose it'll probably start with him having some minutes restrictions and he probably does play with the bench initially, but you know, once he's two weeks in, if he's still healthy at that point, isn't he just a 33 minute a game starter that you just use as much as you can and he plays with the start? Is there, is there drama there? I don't... The drama is with who loses minutes when he's back, I think. Okay. And then who, then who line like does, 
does Snell start at the two? Or does Herder keep Herder keep starting and Snell plays with the second unit? Or or you know, right now I'd guess as well as Herder's complaining that he stays at the two, you know, and right. Snell you know, is is off the bench. So it's totally reasonable. Um and then but then does Hill stop getting minutes at the three at all, you know, at that point in time and you know, or if Collins gets traded is he'll suck up a lot of minutes at the four, you know, all of a sudden. So it's, it's more of kind of the domino effect when Hunter comes back and who else gets squeezed to me. I, I don't want to shortchange DeAndre Hunter any minutes, just to be clear. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Well, is there uh, anything else that we should be talking about that we have not? What am I missing? So let me ask you, based upon how they're playing right now and knowing that you and I don't want to rain on anybody's, you know, parade of being excited about five wins in a row and all that sort of stuff, but knowing, I think you and I, from, you know, enough interaction we've had together, everything's not fixed. There are things going to have to be better for them to keep winning games as they go through different parts of the schedule. But as they're playing right now, kind of what's your expectation for that that eight-game road trip? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's such a crazy season that you never really know until you look at like the injury list before the games actually start, right? And you know who's playing. Um, but I think it's probably it really is a miserable trip. Like it's not just an eight game trip, but it's like eight really good teams. I think right. they're probably going to go like three and five or something on that trip. And yeah. that's three and five playing about as well as they are right now. Like right. with things going well. Um, right. You know, it's, and, and a lot of that is just making, making shots. I mean, Gallo's been making shots. I'm sure no Snell's been making shots. Yeah. You know, Trey, Trey's had a couple of good shooting games. And, and so if that continues, I think three and five is the most statistically likely outcome. Be 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 beautiful to see them go four and four, and you know I feel a little greedy thinking even thinking about five and three, you know. But um, it'd be nice if they could avoid you know a two and six. So you know I know I know fans probably hear three and five. Come on, guys, you know let's hope for a little better. But I don't think three and five is terrible outcome. You know I think they probably tread water with about where they are in the conference right now with that kind of. Record four and four, they may be, you know, bump up just a, a little bit, you know, because they're not the only team playing a lot of games right now and exposed to, you know, all sorts of different kind of variables that this weird season um, kind of throws at everybody. Yeah, and the, the schedule will get softer, you know, they'll, they'll get some reciprocity at the end of the season with a bunch of home games against some teams that aren't as good. Um, and, then, you know, they've got a couple chances to, win two games before they make that trip. So, um, yeah, they could, and if, yep. If they could win these without having to play Capella, I think that would be huge. Yeah. That's a big uh, deal. It's hard to separate. It's, I, I do think that the, the biggest difference in how they've played the last few games in terms of what are they doing better a lot of it's the bench and we're never going to be able to fully separate okay well how much of it is that the bench is healthier now and how much is it that 
it's McMillan coaching because I do think he's done some things to help them. I, I think that the, the slower pace has definitely helped the bench. I think it helps, yes. you know, Rondo, Gallinari, you, um, you know, my goodness, they've had so many shot clock that, uh, uh, violations in the, the last couple of games. They, they're really trying to just kind of milk the clock. Um, you know, I think it gets them a better chance to set up their transition defense. Uh, you know, it just, just kind of keeps them more stable. They, just, that, that bench unit is just not set up to, to be a frantic bunch. They're, they're set up to be very, very deliberate. And, you know, the, the slow pace works for them. And I think that's part of the factor. So, you know, separating health and coaching and all these other factors in terms of how and why they're playing better. I, I, you know, well, I don't think you're ever going to get your answer on that. Um, but I, I do think that they, you know, given that the health continues, that they're, that bench is more like what we've seen the last couple of days than, than what we saw before that. Yeah, I to- totally agree. I think those are good points. Uh, you know, we could look back at how they performed even the last two years with Trey on versus when he was off when he was on. They were basically a playoff team, you know, um, if you take that in that rating. Um, so it really is about managing that drop off and then, um, you know, giving a coach enough options for, you know, choosing maybe from a few different potential lineups that could close a game depending on matchups. You know, that's something that they didn't have a whole lot, you know, earlier in the year. Um, I don't want to re- recast all that and how Pierce optics were and stuff like that. But with guys coming back, you know, Bogdanovich coming back now and hopefully, you know, Hunter, you know, before too, too long, you know, and, and such that just gives you some nice versatility to be able to close with different um, bigger lineups or smaller lineups and, and things like that. And I, I think that'll – make a bit of a difference as the season goes on too. But I, I think slowing it down and, you know, even if the bench unit wasn't going to play any better, just flip, turning that into fewer possessions, you know, the math just kind of works in your favor if you're, you know, turning through fewer possessions while Trey is sitting. And if that group is creating some offense the way that they have during some stretches of the last few games, then um, that's, you know, that's encouraging. Yeah, it is encouraging. Uh, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Yeah, I'm I'm a little excited about that eight-game road trip, but a little nervous, too. You know, I'm sitting here just looking at the schedule about, you know, where is there a break, and there really isn't going to be a break unless the team is just sit, having to sit a few key guys. The way Yeah, there, there aren't. <laughs> There's not. I mean, they they they've handled Denver well the last last year. They did, and this year they they got that win. Um, you know, the Kings are in there, so that's one that you have to feel like you can win coming out of there. Um, Denver's really good. So I don't want to sound like I'm dismissing them. I, they, they Capella's just no. for whatever reason always been a tough matchup for Jokic, even back when he was in Houston and stuff. So I can yeah. start to talk myself into for sure three wins <laughs> if I you know try. But like to your point, there this year there are always so many variables, and we'll just have to kind of kind of see how it goes, but let's, uh, let's cross our fingers and hope we get to seven, seven game win streak before they um, go all the way to the West coast or come, I should say, come all the way to the West coast. Yeah. <laughs> right. All right. Well, uh, 
we'll have to do this again soon as the trip begins and the trade deadline gets a little more pressing yes. and we have maybe some more input and variables into what the discussion should be. Yeah. Well, I, and I'll just say this, I'll do my best. If, if there is a Collins trade, if you need somebody for an emergency pod, you know, you, you know how to get me. So um, I'll try to be available. If, if, even though it seems like both of us think that's a little bit unlikely, maybe if it happens, we'll have to jump on and, and uh, memorialize our thoughts. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Glenn. Thanks, Kevin. Always fun chatting uh, Hawks with you. Have a good one. Good night.